since we are live let me just get a confirmation on the screen and yeah okay i believe we are live now and i can see the comments page and uh, yeah so um everyone welcome to infs fitness career talks i am jyoti dabas the founder and ceo of infs and today we have with us paul hooper paul is the founder of paul's body engineering and he is a bodybuilding coach a sports nutritionist a two time pro natural physique athlete and also an international writer and speaker welcome paul welcome to infs thank you very much for having me excellent so today we will ask paul about his career in fitness and if you have any questions you can post them in the comments i will ask him your questions okay so let me just begin with the list of questions that i have so i have a lot of questions for you paul we are very excited to have your uh, have you here no. No worries, let's go. Let's go. Okay. So Paul, <laughs> <laughs> if I understand right, so your fitness for you happened a little later in life, right? And uh, before then you were um an athlete and working a 9 to 5 job. It's the best way to describe it, is it? And um can you please share with us the journey leading up to the uh setup of Paul's uh, body engineering? Yeah, absolutely. Um I, I didn't start in my career in fitness until I was 36 years old, and prior to that, um, I worked for 14 years in the construction industry in Australia. So um, I dabbled in a lot of different industries within construction. So I worked in structural steel, um, remedial and maintenance work, um, facilities management, uh, all sorts of different roles within those environments. Um, working my way up higher and higher up the chain, but it wasn't until I sort of got to uh, my last job within the industry. about 6 years ago and I sort of got to the top of the tree if you will so I was a manager I was running a building company um where I live now and um I thought I had reached my peak you know I had staff under me I had a car I had an office so I you know you think okay I've made it this will be me for the next 20 years but um the construction industry in Australia in particular is very um uh volatile it's very high risk um and it's very stressful and um in the role I was in I I found that firsthand um so over time within that role I I I started to just like my job more and more um and you know we all want to get in, enjoy our work we want to go wake up with a smile looking forward to our days because you know we look forward to the job that we do and I was sort of losing that appeal so um after discussions with my then girlfriend and now wife um I'd always had an interest in fitness. I used to play rugby union as a youngster. Um I had uh, I was a junior golf uh, a successful junior golfer because I did as well. And personal training had always interested me. Um so one year um I just made the the decision basically on a whim. I'm, I sort of just made it without thinking twice and enrolled in a fitness academy over here to to get my certificates. Um I hadn't really planned out much more than that. So it was a 14 week course um I committed to that I worked at night I oh, sorry I I studied at night I still had to maintain my full time job and um I got through it and I guess the rest is history now so yeah 6 years later and um here we are Oh wow okay that's a wonderful story we have uh hellos hi and good mornings Bionos Diaz Akshay 
So I'm learning a little bit of Spanish and these guys keep throwing a little bit of Spanish my way once in a while. Um, <laughs> hello guys, hi. Um, Paul Saranch is saying, good to see you again after Connect19. Um, I oh, remember your talk yeah, in Goa, so we have people from who attended the Connect also. Um, Excellent. Yeah, he's saying the voice is a bit low. Maybe you'll have to um, be a little bit louder. I don't know. A little bit louder? Yeah. Uh, I'll see if there's a volume on mine that needs to be fixed. All right. Okay. Um, okay, so, let's see how that goes. Yeah, Saranj, let's know, uh, let us know if that helps. Um, so, Paul, when you started um, your career after, you know, um, being at the peak of uh, your sort of corporate um, uh, uh, stint, and mm. did you, um, what vision did you have with the with in fitness and uh, you know how did you did you think about how you want to scale it and what you want to achieve and financially as well as you know what you want like what was the vision of starting um, the company um well obviously the name itself is a bit of a play on words because i was i worked in engineering and obviously construction so that's where sort of the name came up and in hindsight, it probably wasn't the smartest decision to use that name because a lot of people confuse it with people that work on cars. So I get that oh, okay. a lot, but it's kind of funny at the same time. Um, but in regards to, uh, look, I went into the industry fairly naive, to be completely honest. Um, like I'd, I'd been in gyms for a long, long time. I trained them as most people do. Um, I had a personal trainer as well, which sort of gave me more motivation to get involved as uh, a career path. Um, but I still went in not quite naive in regards to how hard it was going to be from the start um, to build your client base to earn a decent living. Um, because you've, in Australia, the, the fitness industry, particularly personal training industry, is set up so that you work for yourself. So it's a business within a gym. Okay. Um, so it, it, it makes it extremely hard to hit the ground running. You don't have an immediate income, um, which can be quite demotivating over time if you don't see that. Um, increase or improve. So for me, it was about um, exposure and, and utilizing the tools that I had available to me. So I was very fortunate enough to start in a quite a big box gym, um, which, which is where I used to train anyway. So I knew the, the owners, I knew quite a lot of the members, and I was familiar with the, the environment. And I um, uh, basically made myself available to the two and a half, three thousand members that they had on a, on a regular basis there. So that was quite. Um, advantageous to me um, and particularly in starting so yeah. rather than where I am now if I if I started my career in a studio like I, I work from now I have no walk-in traffic I have no membership base so it would be yeah. incredibly difficult to start from scratch so that that works in, in favor and that would be certainly a, a, a tip I would give any new, any new trainer entering the industry um, so look I, I, I utilized all the tools I had so social media was a big one I had posters up in the gym. I was offering free consultations in the first free session as well. Um, I was even doing mailbox drops around the neighborhood within you know, a couple of kilometers of the gym to potentially people that were already members. Um, I was getting the membership database from the um, staff there to access um, in regards to new members. So offering them free sessions because they've just joined up, things like that. So there was a lot of tools available, but you, you had to keep hustling yeah. and you had to keep pushing. You know, you couldn't just expect it was all going to magically happen within a week or two weeks or a month um, because after a month you start paying what we call rent for space in the gym so you have to pay your way 
Uh, right. So yeah, so there's a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, but um, as long as you've got a business plan and, and a, I guess a, a, an overall plan as to how you're going to proceed, what you're going to do each day, have your disciplines each week, um, you can make it happen. Okay. So you started out as a personal trainer in a big box gym chain. Yes. And then you worked your way through and decided one day that you need to set up your own uh, studio. Yes. Well, once I sort of established myself, so it took about 18 months to really establish myself and be at capacity in terms of clientele. Um, and then uh, it was then about deciding what I do next. Do I want to stay where I am? Or do I want to take the risk and, and establish myself in my own space where I've got more flexibility and more opportunity to grow in my own environment rather than sort of be in the confines of another business? Um, so at about the, it was the three-year mark. So I, I st it's 18 months. I still built and built and built. So about the three-year mark, I made the decision. And, and prior to that, um, myself and my wife had been looking for space anyway, just out of interest to see what the overhead would be like, the location, because um, it's a it's a quite a big not only a risk but also um, a cost to set yeah. up because you need all your own equipment. So prior to the, prior to that, so from the 18th month, 18th month mark to the three year mark, I actually set up a studio in my garage at home. So where your cars normally parked in your house, I decided to turn that into a little PT studio. So I'm only talking you know maybe 20 25 square meters. So then I started taking on clients from home. So I was working in the big box gym. I was also doing a small amount at home and I was adding to my uh, gym equipment uh, list as I was going. So, you know, every month I might buy something new, secondhand primarily. And um, it's, that sort of just staggered the approach to when I was ready to find the ideal space and move into a proper facility. So it kind of worked out well in the end and, and the staggered approach really, really paid off rather than going from, you know, a fully commercial gym where all the equipment is available all the yeah. time and then having to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to set yourself up in a facility that may not work, I sort of staggered that approach by doing the home studio thing first, having some equipment available so that when I moved, I was ready to go and I added to that over time as well. And I've been there, uh, it'll be two years this July in the new one. So yeah, it's been a good move. Excellent. So um, we always hear, you know, entrepreneurs are risk takers. And the more I share stories with entrepreneurs, it's always, you know, you plan ahead so much. So everyone does, right? You know the risks, but you plan for them. And that's sort of what you have done in setting up your business. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it is a big, look, any, any, starting any small business is a big risk, of course. Yeah. But you can mitigate that risk by planning ahead, being organized, um, you know, having good networking and, and having good um, uh, people behind you in terms of, say, administration, bookkeeping, accounting, um, all that marketing, all those sorts of things yeah. to sort of help you along the way mm. um, to get you going. But, uh, yeah, I was very fortunate that a lot of those things just fell into place. I already had a really good clientele base that was prepared to come with me. And granted, I wasn't moving too far from the big box gym. I was literally maybe a kilometer away, just in a different area. Um, so mo 90% of the clientele that I had were happy to come over to the new facility. And um, so that worked out really well as well. So yeah, you've, you've, you've got to be prepared to take the risk, but without risk, there's no reward. So yeah, it, it, it's a, it, it generally pays off if you're organized and ready to, ready to do it. Okay, that's very interesting. You mentioned a few people that you um, had helped you build out the business. Can you tell us who are those key people and um, how they helped you out? Yeah, of course. Um, well, look, my wife's probably my biggest um, 
back up, I suppose. You know, she encouraged me to, like, I'm, I'm very much, uh, I'm a big skeptic and I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest of risk takers myself, just my personality, but she encouraged me to look for a space. She found the space and then um, she's told me to just go for it. And obviously that was very encouraging. Um, I, my own um, tra personal trainer and uh, bodybuilding coach, Leon, who actually spoke at the Connect Festival as well. He, was, he spoke just after me. Um, he was a big influence as well because he'd already done the, that same process. Right. Um, so I kind of mirrored his process to a degree. He worked in a big box gym, set up a home studio, although he went full time into his home studio. And then he found a space um, after that. So I kind of mirrored his and they just did a little bit better if I could just to improve on his process. Right. Uh, so they're probably the two biggest influences. Um, and then just knowing uh, people around in terms of marketing and print material. Um, I've, I've connected with a local supplement supplier as well. So that, you know, it, we sort of do a lot of cross promotion uh, and things like that just to continually spread the word of my branding, my business and, and, and maintain exposure and content in the community, which is very important to stay relevant. Very interesting. And I, I feel that your experience in um, having worked with the company before sort of sets you up here, like you're more mature than you would have otherwise. And you sort of know how to get around to do things. And specifically now, um, uh, you know, when it comes to like besides fitness, when you set up the business, what were the things that um, you had to grapple with and you had to understand a little bit better for you to be able to run the business successfully. You've raised a really, really good point there. Um, yeah. Being as, I guess, old as I was or mature as I was, because I found that actually did work really far in my favor. And sorry to take away from the, the original question, but um, I, I find that I can empathize a lot more with people um, given my age and my experience. Like I've got three young kids, I've got a family, um, I've been through a divorce, which I'm more than happy to speak openly about. So those things I can relate to quite well. Um, so when I get clientele that are um, you know, having difficulties, personal difficulties, um, they're emotionally eating because of stresses at home, things like that, I can empathize a lot better. So that certainly worked in my favor. Whereas if I was say 18, 19, straight out of school, qualified, I don't have that experience. I yeah. haven't traveled, I haven't seen the world, I haven't been married, I haven't got children, all those sorts of things. So that was certainly a, um, uh, an advantage that I did have, I think. Um, but in terms of moving into the space and, and the things I had to sort of overcome, um, well, when I moved my equipment and my flooring from my home studio to my shed or my gym, uh, I didn't have enough. So um, I've got photos that are quite funny. I've got like, it's a big, just a standard industrial shed that it was, just a shell. And I put all the equipment in, it's still quite half empty. There's nothing on the wall, there's concrete everywhere. The flooring only fit maybe a third of the floor. So for the first probably six months, that's how it looked and that's how people trained in. Uh, but we made it work. So, you know, over time, obviously gym equipment's expensive. So we just built up bit by bit and bought a bit more and bit more until we filled the space. And um, I added a lot of material to the walls to try and create a bit more of a homely feel, a bit more of an inviting environment. Um, you know, you don't want to walk into a shed and actually see that it feels like a shed. It feels like an industrial warehouse. It actually needs to feel like a gym. So I think it does that now. I've got a big sticker on the very back wall. So as soon as you walk in, you turn the corner, you look down, you see this massive sticker and, and it's my sort of tagline, which is no excuses here. So that's massive. It's just this huge thing. It's about five meters long and you can't miss it. So it sort of inspires people to push when they're in, in, the, in the four walls. Um, 
But they were the primary things. It was just a matter of getting the equipment and, and getting the place looking and feeling like a gym so that when a new person came along uh, for the first time for a consult or, or just a catch-up, they would walk in and they'd go, oh, wow, this, this feels great. This feels amazing. This feels welcoming. You know, you don't want the first impression to be, oh, this is a shed, you know. <laughs> so that was very important to me to, to create that environment. <clears throat> Excellent. And um, so um, from the way you're describing how you built your business, it, it was bit by bit uh, with the equipment, with moving to your first, first moving to your garage and then uh, uh, shed. Um, did you, and you know, it's also about managing your finances when you're setting something up. Did you um, hire professionals to help you in any of this? Because when you're setting up something new, you're also a little scared saying, you know, I, I, I've never done this before. Will I be able to do this? So should the you know first time entrepreneurs who are setting up their fitness uh, however you know online or offline um at what point should they say this is beyond you know my capabilities and i should hire someone professional um i did absolutely like it's yeah. funny um i watched my parents run their own business for 20 odd years and i swore i would never own my own business i, I swore because I, I saw how hard they work i saw how long they work um but ironically, here I am. So I, I, um, I, I tried to take on as much as I could because obviously I was trying to be as cost-efficient as I, I could be. But uh, the bookkeeping side of, side of things got me. Um, I, I'm, I just don't have the patience to sit down and enter numbers and, and you know, run your finances and things like that. I managed the cash flow, but from a bookkeeping perspective with invoices in and out, I had to hire someone. It just, I couldn't do it as efficiently as I should. Yeah. So I got a bookkeeper. I use an accountant for my um, uh, end of financial year and, and, uh, and BAS, which we do every three months. Um, I use a sign writer to do um, stickers, signs. I've got a big flag, uh, posters, like big ones. Um, they've also done some um, material for me for content online. Uh, things like that I've uh, obviously paid for as well. Um, but that's pretty much it. The rest of it is in-house. I try and do as much as I can just to stay on top of things. Um, there's still the opportunity in personal training during the middle of the day. There's not really a lot of clientele that want middle of the day. The peak times are obviously before work and after work. So early morning, late afternoon. But during the middle of the day is when you generally get most of the, the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts stuff done. So that's when I you know, do some marketing, I'll do emailing, um, invoicing, cash flow, all that sort of stuff during those periods. So there is opportunity to do that. You just obviously have to be quite efficient with your time. Um, but yeah, accounting and bookkeeping was one thing I just didn't want to do. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Those things are better left to professionals. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, when you were talking earlier, you mentioned that um, before um, this COVID pandemic, you were 50% of your clients were online. Um, so you, you have that part of the business as well. Um, to build that out and to acquire clients for the online side of things, did you have to rely on social media or how did you build that out? And how important is social media in these marketing efforts? Yeah, good, very good question. Yeah, yeah about 50% of my business was online, you know, a few months back before COVID hit. Um, and that was how, I'd, uh, that was sort of the next phase of the business development, I suppose. You know, you move, I moved into the shed, I built that up and obviously established myself there. And then I wanted to sort of, take a step back in terms of face-to-face -face content, because obviously, you know, if you do too much, you burn out and it's only me. So um, developing that online component was very important and that built up over time. Um, 
but yeah, social media, um, look, it's free. So you, you'd be silly not to use it. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to overwhelm myself with too many platforms. So I primarily just stick to the main ones between Facebook and Instagram. And I, I dabble a little bit in LinkedIn. Um, okay. I don't go down the Snapchat path or anything like that. I'm, I'm not the most savvy person when it comes to technology. So I, I don't want to overwhelm myself and yeah. do something wrong on the wrong platform. So yeah. Um, but I, I utilize them to the, to the best of my knowledge. Um, I try and be as strategic as I can with posting. I make sure content is relevant. Um, I, before coronavirus hit, I did a lot of video content as well because I found that was more, um, I guess, appealing to people. It generally got more people interested rather than just pictures and words. So I was trying to be as strategic as I could with what I knew about social media and how it worked. Um, I do the odd sponsored posts, not too many. So look, that seemed to work well enough for me. Uh, and, and, you know, given it's just me as a, a solo operator, um, I didn't want, um, you know, thousands and thousands of clients that, that would not be efficient and I, I would not be able to maintain a, a good level of service with that. So I was quite happy with where I was at and just continually maintaining the content I was putting out to maintain the level that I was at. Okay. Okay. Um, we have a question from Akshay and he wants to know, do you have any plans for increasing your studio's presence in Brisbane? Um, uh, okay, I'll let you answer yeah. that. Sorry, um, I do have plans to expand. Like I'm, I'm on a, um, a three-year lease in the space that I'm at at the moment, so I've obviously got another eighteen, oh, another twelve months to go from July, um, and there is an opportunity to potentially look at a bigger space. But in saying that, I, I'd, I'd be happy to stay where I am. I don't know if I'd want to franchise out or open up a number of different studios under my name. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty content with where I'm at in terms of the business and the workload I've got. So I don't know if creating another another entity would be in my best interest. But you never know. You never know. I, you know, you asked me eight years ago if I was going to be a personal trainer, I would have said no. You're kidding yourself. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the thing about setting goals, right? That's you, right. You don't know where life will take you. <laughs> So um, when you thought of fitness, did you consider any other uh, career options other than personal training? I don't know what uh, else is out there in Australia. How how did you like lock in on personal training? Oh, look, I think my own personal trainer had a, a big influence on that. Not directly, but just me watching him work with people. Um, it made me realize how much impact you can have with people, helping them particularly when you provide the level of education and, and training and knowledge to better their own position. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, look, the only other thing that I would have potentially gone down the path of would have been working with sporting teams. Um, when I was younger, I used to do a lot of rugby union coaching because I'd obviously played at a high level. So naturally that sort of, that progression just followed its own path and I started coaching kids. Um, so I, I did see myself following that, but I decided to up and travel the world and things like that. So it, it sort of just fell by the wayside. But I always felt I, I was always a better coach than a player. And I think in terms of bodybuilding, I always feel that I'm a better coach than a bodybuilder. Um, I just seem to be able to relay the message and, and empathize with people and, and get that, that message across and get them to their, their goals um, a lot better. So I, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty happy with where I've ended up, to be honest. That's, that's interesting because um... 
uh, it's also very important to know your strengths and just the fact that you know 90% of the clients followed you to your studio says a lot about how personal um, uh, you know values and how you run um, uh, with your clients and how do you deal with them has a lot to do with just the sort of following and loyalty that you can build oh 100% it, it's as a trainer it's incredibly important to provide a, a community environment um, something where people feel safe they feel comfortable because it's <clears throat> excuse me it's not all about just telling someone to lift you know 12 reps of whatever exercise it is you've got to break down the walls there's a lot more going on generally with an individual than just the fact that they need to exercise so you've got to provide a, a level of security that they are willing to open up but if you can get through to them on a um, you know a psychological level or a spiritual level or whatever it might be you can generally find the problem and fix it. Um, you know, it may, it may not be the fact that they need to train, but training is their outlet. It may be the fact that they need to fix their eating or they might have some financial stresses at home or something, whatever the case may be. So having a community sort of environment that I created, and I've got a, a Facebook group that I, I set up years and years and years ago, specifically for clients who have all now become quite good friends to be, to be honest, which is really humbling to see. Um, I think that's very important. You've got to, like even from my first client to any client that I pick up uh, that I get currently, you've got to treat them like gold. Um, and it, the service shouldn't change. The quality shouldn't change. You should always treat them to, uh, and give them the highest level of service to your best of your ability, not only within the, the confines of the half an hour or to an hour session that you're providing them face to face, but outside of that as well. They might need to speak to you on a Friday afternoon um, even though you trained them on a Monday because they have a question about their food for the weekend. Um, so you've got to make yourself available. So that's one of the things that I learned very quickly about um, personal training is, is the mental demand it has. Um, you've got to be available a lot more than just the time you're in the gym. So I learned that very quickly and, and um, it's just something that you have to evolve and adapt to. Yeah. Um... Makes complete sense. And for someone who's uh, thinking of a career in this, they need to know and understand um, that it is not just, you know, the knowledge that you have from how to get fit. It's a lot to do with uh, mental wellness and how do you put the client in the right frame, make them trust you. So um, this is going a little bit off topic, but I want to stay with this, Paul, because it's very important for those who are thinking of a career in this. Can you give us a um, sort of an example of um, how you um, helped someone through a difficult phase and help them, you know, um, uh, help them along on their fitness journey? Can you share an example for us, if you can? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, look, I've got a lot of examples, and I think that certainly helps with the success in this industry is getting those transformations. And they could, they might not be physical; they could be mental transformations as well, or just transforming someone's life. Um, I'm going to highlight one client, but I've obviously got many, but, and I think she might even be watching, and that's my client, Kelly. Um, if you go back through my Instagram or Facebook feed, you'll see the before and after of her. So she came to me about two years ago, um, when I was, no, actually longer than that, when I was at, still at the big box gym and wanted to make a change. Um, came from years and years and years of crash dieting, poor diets, uh, lots of cardio, just your typical um, sort of uninformed, uneducated individual that really didn't have a direction or proper guidance 
Um, so we started obviously with strength training. That was the first component. So we started working on her um, ability to lift, lift well, good technique, um, a lot of volume. And then we just, we started working on her nutrition. Now she was in it for the long haul. She committed for a long period of time. She knew she was up against a long journey. It wasn't a, a 12 week process. It wasn't going to be fixed in a matter of weeks. We had to work long. So long story short, um, she still trains with me today. So a couple of years on, um, she's well and truly over, I think 15 kilos lighter, but her mindset and her physique has changed dramatically. So she's gone from someone who was, and I don't want to be disrespectful, um, just I guess she, she classified herself as overweight and she wasn't confident in her own skin. And now she lifts incredibly well, lifts a lot of weight, eats heaps of food. So when we talk calories, she went from like 800 to now 25 to 3000. Wow. Um, and, but she's maintained the weight loss off as well, Excellent. which is incredibly important because as we spoke about off air, um, nutrition is an incredibly big component of anyone's journey when it comes to weight loss. Yeah. So she's had an incredibly successful period, but it's taken two years to get there. So, you know, there's no quick fix. In it. If you're going to do it naturally, if you're going to do it the right way, but she set herself up for life. And now she's actually pursuing a career in personal training in, in the fitness industry as well, which is really great to see. So she's taking what she's learned and she's going to go on and help others, which I think is amazing. That's amazing. A lot of people here have also personally transformed if they've, you know, fought the demons and now they're more confident. They want to take part in the industry. So, yeah, that's thank you for sharing that. Um, and thank oh. you. Yeah. Um, all the best to Kelly also. if She's watching. Um, yeah. We have a question from Ankit and um, he wants to know. Uh, if you can give him advice on um, or anyone on how one should plan to be in the fitness industry and what challenges did you face and that someone should be aware of when they start just starting off um, I think the biggest shock factor for me was the, the, the lack of income so I went from a steady paying job a successful role within the construction industry to not earning any money at all um, and that, and I actually didn't earn any money for the first month. So I went a month without any income. So you've got to be prepared for that. Now, granted, a lot of the gyms will provide um, support in that regard. Like they might give you free rent. They'll provide assistance in terms of marketing and things like that. But you've still got to be, it, it, it does come as quite a shock if you're not ready for that. Um, and as I said, I went in quite naive. So I may have done things a little bit differently uh, at the start, but that was one of the biggest things. The other thing is, um, when you do a consult with a, a, a potential client or a new member or something like that, you've pretty much got one opportunity to make an impression. Um, and it's a very limited period of time as well. So you've got to ask the right question. So you need your script and your, um, I guess your, um, what do they call it? Your, your, uh, your pitch or. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got to be, you've got to have it in, uh, down, down pat so that you know what you're going to say, but then you need to adapt it to the individual because every individual is going to be different with a different background. Some might have injuries, some might be overweight, some might want to get stronger and put on more muscle. So you've got to be able to adapt that, that introduction. But you, you've got, as I said um, previously, you've got to provide the empathy to a situation. You've got to be excited because um, that rapport needs to develop very, very quickly. So one of the, the the key attributes to me having a lot of success with initial clientele was I offered a free consult and two free sessions, not just one. And the reason I did two was 
if you can work with them through the first one and develop an initial rapport and then they agree to come back to the second one, nine times out of 10, you've already got them. And I don't mean that to sound like an aggressive sales tactic, but um, because they're coming back straight away, you've doubled your time with them. So you get further opportunities to speak to them and you can relate back to the first session too, if you can recall exactly what you said. Um, you know, obviously you're gonna ask some personal questions too, what do you do for a living? Where do you live? You know, family, all those sorts of things. So then you can start really building that relationship. So that was a big um, uh, winner for me in terms of having success and, and sort of building that clientele in the first 12 months was offering two free sessions. Yes, you're giving up time, but you're not earning money or, or you don't, you've got a lot of time on your hands anyway when you first become a trailer. So rather than just walking around the gym cleaning equipment, um, I was going through the database and I was shooting messages and making phone calls to people and offering that. And, and I got a lot of hits and a lot of work out of it. So that worked really well. Wow. So you really have to put yourself out there. It's not like um, once you've done a certification, anyone owes you anything. You have to go out and build your client base. You have to, um, you know, establish that trust factor with them. That's oh, 100, yeah. 100%. It, it, you've, got to, you've got to make yourself present and, and um, you've got to be available all the time. So people are familiar with you. You know, if you're constantly in the gym and they're walking by, you say hello and you know, introduce yourself, things like that, they become familiar, they become comfortable. So when it comes time for someone to get a trainer, they'll immediately think of you because they remember how nice you might have been. And, and I've had clients come up to me or approach me for, um, to, to book in sessions that they would have spoken to me 12 months earlier. But because I'd done the due diligence and just, you know, been nice and said hello and how are you going and, and maybe helped them, you know, I might have been walking the floor and they might have needed a spot or they just wanted to ask me a general question about health fitness and I was happy to give it, um, they remember that. So you're, you've always got to be on. When you're in the gym, in the four walls of the gym, you've always got to be on. Um, I was even doing group fitness classes, even though that's not my niche, I was in there because it was giving me exposure. So, um, you know, if I didn't have any clients to work with, if I didn't have any equipment to clean, if I didn't have any marketing to do, I'd go to a group fitness class, purely for, one, for a bit of exercise or something different, but also two, to provide um, more exposure for myself. Okay, excellent. Um, Paul, on this, just um, we have uh, just a few minutes left, and I want to ask this question. You know, a um, lot of people who feel that they are introverts, that they're not, they find it very difficult to um, connect with people. Like, how do you overcome that and go out and, you know, do what you have to do to connect with people? And how I'm did you world, do it? <laughs> world's biggest introvert. I, I, really dislike going to busy shopping centers. I dislike going in, in crowds, I, which is ironic because obviously I work with people. Um, look, the, 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 the most honest answer, even though it's brutally honest, is you've just got to put yourself out there. Um, you've, you've got to get used, you, what's the saying? You've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that develops you as a person, but it also develops you as a professional in this industry. So. Um, the other tip I'd give is if someone asks you a question that you are, you actually don't know the answer to, tell them you don't know. Don't try and um, create an answer or, you know, fumble through an answer or anything like that because you're not sure. Just tell them you don't know. Um, people appreciate honesty, believe it or not. And the opportunity is there then for you to say, well, hang on a second, I'll go and research it and I'll come back to you with the answer. So then you've got a second contact point with them as well. Um, but yeah, you've just got to, get used to being uncomfortable. You've got to put yourself out there. Like this is an industry where you work with people. 
So even if you are an introvert like myself, you have to make the change to get used to it. Otherwise, you're not going to succeed, unfortunately. Yeah, there's, there's no hiding from the growth path that you need to take, right? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, Paul, lastly, just um, how do you see the fitness industry evolving over the next few years? And of course, the pandemic will take its own course. But do you see, like, except for that, do you, ha- do you see any changes coming or how do you see the industry? Uh, that's a good question. I, th- I think the, the pandemic will have an influence on how we um, proceed when, when everything sort of gets back to whatever the new normal may be in regards to um, Zoom training, because that's obviously taken a big, a big role in people's fitness through this period. But I think just the development and, and um, I guess growth of online coaching has become more, more prevalent. And look, it was, it was, it was, it's been there for a long time already, but it's evolved and adapted. And, and there's so many ways to provide online coaching now. So you don't necessarily have to go to a gym to train with a trainer. You can train, like I, I have tra- clients all over the world um, and, and through online coaching, I have the opportunity to do that, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I guess component of health and fitness will continually grow and develop and uh, you know, you never know, like personal trainers might not be in existence in 50 years time, I don't know. But um, I think in saying that, I think the need for human contact is always going to be needed. So a lot of people, um, when they've approached me and, I, and I've been at capacity, I said, look, I've got online coaching as an option here. You train in the gym, would you like to look at that? They said, no, I'd rather come to you face to face because I need that accountability. So I think that human contact component will always be needed. But I think those that are, um, I guess, competent in their own abilities to train and stay motivated to train and eat right and things like that, then online coaching is, is a great way to go. So that will continue to grow, I'm sure of it. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Paul. There's so many gems in our conversation. We, people, I'm sure people will go back and replay and listen to your advice all along the way. Thank you for being so candid and sharing all these things with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Not a problem at all. Thank you. Thank you for now. Talk to you no soon. No worries. Okay, thank you. Okay.